0: Good morning, Crosswinds. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, my name is Ryan Samuels. I am the student ministry pastor here at Crosswinds, and I am super, super excited to be able to be up here um, to deliver this message, and, and it's the second message in our David series, David, a man after God's own heart. And we're gonna to be touching on uh, probably, I would say, like a, a top five most famous story of Scripture, and that's David versus Goliath. David versus Goliath. Now, when I say that, I could just assume that you probably know the story. Or, in my experience, I did not grow up in the church. So when I accepted Christ uh, when I was about 18, 19, and I, I walked into ministry uh, to be, go to school to be a pastor, I did not know this story. So I was, the first time I encountered this story was in my Old Testament class. And he's, he's up there, he's like, well, you, you all know this story. And I was like... I do not. Now, I have heard the, the the theme of it, so I thought of the little beating the big and underdog story, and sure, so I've, I've heard that part, but the story as a whole, I did not. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through it. We're going to walk through the whole chapter of, of 1 Samuel 17. It's a big, long chapter, but there's a lot of good stuff in it. And so and, and it's an iconic story for a reason. The writer of this text does in it what is rarely done in the rest of Hebrew Scripture, The writer prolongs the story of a battle. It brings in all of these quotes, and you're meant to fixate on this story. Uh, And yet, here's the funny thing. As much as we use it as a metaphor for little beating the big and underdog story, we typically use that for sports. But often when we do this, we tend to miss the very heart and theme of the message, of the story. So, last week we saw an identification of a king. And this week'll we'll see an, uh, in this iconic story, we'll see an introduction of a king and, and what he's like and how he's going to come in the midst of a conflict. And so we're going to jump right in. We're going to jump right into 1 Samuel 17. This is kind of we're going through verses one through three here, and this is the introduction of the two armies. So introduction of the two, two armies, the Israelite army and the Philistine army. Now, at this moment, you know, it was an invasion by the Philistines. That means that they were camped in the nation of, in, of Israel. They were in their territory. It was an invasion. The Philistine army was, was a culture built on worshiping the wrong things, but it was specifically a culture built on battle. It was a culture built on battle. And, and they, the Philistines, were against what we read in Genesis as God's chosen people. They were The people who God told to Abraham, I'm going to build a nation... And I'm going to bless them so that they could be a blessing to the world. And their job, the Israelites' job, this is important, was to listen and trust in God. That was their job. So we get this introduction. We got two two armies, Israelites, Philistines, facing each other. And so we we get this introduction, and we get now to the debut of our antagonist. A debut of our antagonist in chapter 17, our intro to Goliath. So the scripture says that there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Geth. Now it's important to note this, that he's just not moseying on out of the camp. He, a lot of times when we, when we think of a giant, maybe in, in Goliath in this instance, we think of some big, burly, you know, he's not that. He's not that. He is an athletic freak of nature. And he steps out of the camp of the Philistines. He interposes himself and declares himself a challenger. And, and, and I wanted to, to note that this dude is massive, massive. It says in scripture, this means nothing to us right now, but it, means, it says he's six cubits and a span. And we've got no clue what that means. But people have, fig- people have figured out what that equates to, and it's a little over nine feet tall. Little over nine feet tall. If, you, if you've ever seen an actual regulation basketball hoop, that's ten feet tall. So he's a li- couple, he's about six inches, seven inches shorter than that. So he is massive, and we get to note that he's not just uh, physically advanced. We also get to know, and this is where he's not just some big dumb giant. He's he's a freak of nature in, in the terms of this. Is we also get to know that he was technically advanced. The writer describes in detail the weight of all of his equipment, what it's made of, the stuff he's bringing into battle, all his weapons, the, the pieces of armor he's wearing, even to the point of some, some dude is carrying his shield because he has so much stuff. And you might ask, well, why is it important that we know that? Because, because it draws us in to the fear that the Israelites had towards Goliath. He's so much bigger, so much more advanced than they are. And, and we get this moment where Goliath issues a challenge and it's, it's not, he says, why don't you send someone out to stand in for you against me? And it's not, it was not uncommon back then to kind of save bloodshed, to save bodies for two armies, to, for one to send a challenger and the other army to send another, to kind of mitigate as much loss as possible. So that's what Goliath does. He steps out. He says, "I defy the ranks of Israel." Now catch that. I defy the ranks of Israel. This defy is directed to taunt, scorn or disgrace. He is saying, "My God is bigger than your God." And he's shouting this across the battlefield. "My God is bigger than your God." And it was at this moment when he, when he yells this, "I defy the ranks of Israel. It was at this moment, and it says in Scripture that, that Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and greatly afraid. So, we got the battle, we got the antagonist, now let's meet our protagonist. Let's meet David, and he's coming out of a request from his father Jesse. And we're in verses 29, or, uh, 19 through 27, it's an overlook, but Jesse had asked David if he would take loaves and cheese to the army. Loaves and cheese. Jesse goes to David and says, hey, could you, could you kind of take this, take these provisions to the army? Because at this point, he wanted to check on, make sure everything was okay, but it was important because David's three older brothers were at this battle. And so, you know, he, he, Jesse, the father, asked, could you just go kind of and check on things, make sure? And so it's important to note that the next morning, David leaves the sheep, and he took his provisions and he headed out. Now, catch that. Here we see a symbolism. David leaves his flock. He leaves his earthly things and he marches towards his destiny. And when he arrives at the battle, he's greeted by his three brothers. And they get talking, but in the midst of this talking, out comes Goliath again. And now I'm assuming Goliath has probably repeated himself a decent amount of times. Um, but it says in Scripture, and once again, he repeats himself. Scripture says in this moment that all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So David catches this. David catches this, this tone of a man, giant man, who steps out and is shouting these things. And it's at this moment while everyone else is afraid, David overhears it and he starts to ask some questions. Just simple questions, you know. As a, a young guy would. He's like, who's that? What's that? Who's that guy? What, what did he say? What's he doing? And then, catch this. David, in a simple question, he says, is that man defying God? Remember, he's talking to his brothers at this point. He says, is that man defying our God? God. And so David then asks another question. He says, what will be done for the man who kills the man who is taking away the power of Israel and defies the armies of God? He just asks a simple question. We move into verses 28 and 37, and it's in this moment of David's questioning, his oldest brother, Eliab, gets angry at David. Some translations say that he he burned with anger. So he's pretty mad at him. This could possibly be arising out of, out of maybe jealousy. Why are you even here? Could be arising from jealousy. Or maybe it's from a defeatist attitude of the Israelites. He's like, David, it doesn't even matter. We already lost. Look at him. He's massive. We can also attest that it possibly Eliab is angry because, because why would David even have this idea? Maybe because of possibly what the servant had shared in the chapter before. But David, in this argument with his brother, big brother, little brother argument, mind you, as a true younger sibling would, and I'm a younger sibling, my sisters are much, much older than me, but he just asks another question, as younger siblings do. What have I done? Was it not but a word? Why are you so mad at me? i was just asking questions. But it's in this moment that David, in this response, he knows where his true battle lies. He knows it's not with his brother. He could pick up as many fights as he wants with his brother. He knows that that's not the battle he's meant to fight. And so in this back and forth between David and his brother, Saul gets word of David and he sends for him. So in verses 38 through 40, we get an encounter between David and Saul. David approaches Saul and the first thing he says, he says, let Let no man's heart fail. Because of him, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. As we read, Saul says, and I'm I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but he says, who are you again? You, uh, Oh, you're the cheese boy. That's right. You're the cheese boy. You can't. There's no chance you can fight this giant. There's no chance you can fight this Philistine. You're too small. You're just a youth. And then David replies, with which I don't think at this beginning, this first sentence is a, is a great argument for David. But he says, he says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. David, that's not that's not a great argument. I can fight him because I used to keep sheep. But he then says, But whenever a lion or a bear came and took a sheep, I would chase after them, grab them by their beard, Strike them down and kill them. David ends it with, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, it's at this moment that we get to see the heart of a king. We get to see the heart of a shepherd. He doesn't say When a lion or a bear steals a sheep, we still got 99. We don't got to go after that. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, I chase down the one. And I defeat whatever is getting in the way of them getting back to the flock. That's what he's saying here. And, And because David knows that because God has delivered him from the paws of lions and bears, that God will deliver him now. He knows that. David has confidence in his present because of God's faithfulness in his past. And he knows that, God, that the God that has delivered him then will deliver him now. He knows this. And now remember this. Saul in this moment, no one in Israel in the, in the army had stepped up to be the champion to face Goliath. At this point, no one. At all. And so you have this now this little shepherd boy coming. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So Saul probably in, in some midst of, of this is all I got, frustration, he, he just simply says, go. And may the Lord be with you. You know? Go and may the Lord be with you. And, and, and Saul, in this moment, as he says that, he wants to make sure David's prepared. So he says, David, why don't, let's, let's put on some armor, okay? Because he knows what's out there. Let's put on some armor, Uh, Pick up my sword. David can't pick up his sword. Too heavy. David can't wear the armor because he's too small because David doesn't fight like that. And so in this back and forth, after he's done, David, he takes a staff. He goes down to a brook and he grabs five five smooth stones for a sling. And then we reach the moment of David versus Goliath in verses 41 through 51. And we, we see David showing up To a battle, and immediately Goliath is insulted by what David is bringing to the table. Goliath says, Am I a dog that you might come to me with sticks? Am I a dog that you would come to me with a staff, a stick? But David knows. And, and, and this, is, this is an important thing because right after Goliath says, am I a dog that you might come with me? sticks?" he then curses David by David's gods. He curses him. He curses him by his gods. And it's important to, to catch this because I think this is just fascinating. This is just a total God thing. But listen to this next part. The word curse is super important because it's theologically significant because when God was founding the nation of Israel under Abraham, he said, whoever curses you... He will be cursed, and it will rebound on them. And now catch this next part. It's another God moment. Because in Leviticus 24, blasphemy against God is a capital offense punishable by stoning. Punishable by stoning. So after Goliath curses David, Goliath then says again, very arrogantly, he says, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Shouting this at David. Essentially, he's saying, I'm going to rip you limb by limb and I'm going to scatter you across this battlefield. I am going to destroy you. Then, without, without hesitation, David's first speech is recorded. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now listen to this next part because David says back to Goliath what Goliath says to him. He says, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Essentially, he says, the Lord will fight because it's the Lord's battle and he will get glory. That's what he says. And after his speech, at the end of that, picture this. He's giving this this speech, this brave heart speech. And then instantly at the end, he sprints, to the front, to face Goliath face-to-face, sprints there. Says, scripture says he runs quickly to get to the front. And when the Philistine arose, so, you know, Goliath's probably just, you know, he, he's perked up a little bit. He's got this little tiny shepherd boy running at him. When they drew near to meet, David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it. And he struck the Philistine right between the eyes, right on his forehead. The stone sank into his head, and he fell on his face to the ground. Goliath was so focused on the stick. Am I a dog that you may come to me with sticks? He was so focused on the stick that Goliath didn't even see the stone coming. Now, as I was, I was looking this up, and I was looking research, I just wanted to see what the battle between it, if somebody had recreated or whatever. But the weapon that, Goliath, or that David was using, the sling, it wasn't a slingshot. It was a sling. So you put the little, the little rock in there and you could sling it and then let it go, like this, and let it go. The stones out of that sling could come out of that faster than 100 miles an hour. So it's a stone about yay big coming out 100 miles an hour. And so because Goliath was so focused on how small and pathetic David was looking with a stick that Goliath didn't see the stone coming. Instantly. Done. He didn't see it. He's so focused on something else that when it strikes him, Goliath doesn't see it. David didn't win in spite of his weakness of being small. He won because Of his weakness. After this, David runs and he stands over the Philistine. I'm assuming he probably gets on top of him, stands on him, unsheaths Goliath's own sword, and David kills him. He cuts off his head. And when the Philistines saw this, when they saw that their champion was dead, they fled. They fled. In this moment, everyone, this, this whole story, Everyone saw the same thing. Everyone saw a giant named Goliath. It's clear to see him he's massive. The difference, however, was that the Israelites only saw how big and scary Goliath was. David, David, even though he saw a big giant, he saw a God that was bigger. Than the giant he was facing. Both saw the same thing, but were focused on something completely different. The Israelites were focused on fear, yet David was focused on God. And so this brings us to a point that everyone saw the same thing, but the victor was focused on God instead of the giant. And we get to this point, and and we kind of move into our, our second kind of point. And, and it's if David would have focused on what everyone else around him was focused on, he would have lost. Matter of fact, he had plenty of people telling him that the giant that was out there was too big and scary for just a small shepherd boy. His own brother told him, I know your presumption. I get why you're I get the evil of your ways. I get it, the evil of your heart, I got it. Saul said, you're just a youth. You're way too small to face this giant who's been a man of war since your age, since his youth. Saul even then tries to dress David in the way that he thought maybe a warrior should be dressed. But David was not designed in this moment to be a warrior with a sword. For he was the anointed king. He was to be a warrior for God. And then Goliath. The own giant that David's facing. Now think about this. The own giant that was in, that David was facing was telling David, the thing you are bringing to defeat me is not good enough. Am I a dog that you may come to me with sticks? He's denying that of what David was using to fight the giant in his life. So let me ask you this question. Where is your focus? I think so many times, I, I recall back about five years ago, I was, uh, we were planning a church, my wife and I, we had, had no little Jay yet, my, my daughter, we had no baby Jay. It was just me and, my, me and my wife. We were planning a church, working so many odd end jobs to kind of make things meet. We weren't living in great situations. And it was in this, this season that I was so defeated. I was so battered up. I got to a point, and Vanessa will say it, where it was a point where she was actually afraid that I was going to walk away from faith completely. Planning a church. It got to a point where the only thing every single day that I was focused on, when I would wake up, it would be my loneliness. It'd be my my, my fear of, of going to the place that I was working. It was the fear of, of not having maybe the, the leadership that I wanted. It, it was all things, anxiety, depression, all these things that I was facing that I was giving ownership in my life over. When I was waking up, I was not choosing God. And, and so you, you, I look back on that time and I say, well, why was I going through such a season? It was because I was choosing. I was not choosing God. Even though I was in a church, even though I was doing all these things for God and and ministering, my relationship with God was non-existent. And that led me to almost walking away. And and God sent someone, and I I didn't share this in the first, but I might tear up, but he sent a little girl to pull me out of that situation. He sent someone to get me out, to pull me out of this. And so, so many times we forget who is on our side. So many times, don't we? We read that David ran quickly to face his giant. I find myself in the shoes of the Israelites too many times. Even though I know God has parted the Red Sea, God is a deliverer, he's a resurrector, he's a healer, God is a savior, and God is a giant killer. I forget sometimes that he's pulled me out of that water or he's pulled me out of a season of despair. And, and David remembered who God was and how he delivered him out of the paws of lions and, bear, and, and bears. We forget that God has delivered us as well hear this part, we have all been victorious through God. And I'm here to tell you that even if you feel like there's a giant in your life that you can't be delivered from, there's no possible way. I ask you to challenge God to slay that giant. I challenge you to run quickly into facing that giant, whether it's, it's depression, addiction, maybe pride, anxiety, fear, doubt. Maybe it's that thing that you said you'd never consume again, but you did anyways. Or maybe It's the granddaddy of them all, the big one, that all those fall under, death. I challenge you to go in, to run in, to face that. Because I want to share this with you. That for many of us, a pump-up speech doesn't really work. A halftime speech doesn't really work. Because when our fears come at us, we're like Israel. We'll come into this room, we'll walk into this building, and we'll shout, my God is victorious. We are winners, we are champions, but as soon, as soon as that one enemy, that one thing assaults us, we shrink back into fear. And that's really the point of it. Do we find ourselves like David, or do we find ourselves like the Israelites? When we are powerless, when we are helpless, whatever your sin is, For many of us, there might be a hundred different enemies that we conquer day-to-day life. You're like, well, I don't do that anymore. There might be a hundred things that we conquer. But we all have that one or couple things that render those other things useless. doesn't matter. The victories that we've had, it doesn't matter because those couple things get inside of us and we can't win. But let me tell you something. In the midst of your depravity and helplessness, God does not send a pump-up speech. God doesn't send a cheerleader. He sends a substitute. The world tells us what we can do to face these issues in our life. They tell us that. You do what you feel like is right to get you out of it. You do you. God sends a man between that interposes himself in your camp and says, I will fight for you. God says, I will do what you cannot do, and my victory will count for you. What we need is a hero to fight for us. We need a David. So here's the point of this passage of all of 1 Samuel 17, David versus Goliath, that into our helplessness, God sent another boy from Bethlehem. He comes from obscurity, but there's victory in him if you're looking closely. He arrives lowly. He emptied himself as a servant. His brothers mocked him and accused him of bad intentions, and he was a carpenter, and he said that he was the king of kings but he stepped out against our enemy. He stepped out against that granddaddy of them all, death. On the night Jesus was betrayed and taken away, he was beaten and he looked weak. He didn't launch an offensive against Jerusalem. No, he had every right to, he didn't. He allowed himself to be beaten, to be mocked, to be shamed, and to be crucified. He wasn't wearing armor. He looked small, but he won. Not despite his weakness, but because of his weakness. Jesus has chosen to step in to be our champion. He has chosen, he has interposed himself into our camp to be our substitute. To fight in our place against our giant. And and Jesus steps in and he says, I will take the very thing that the enemy is saying he will use to destroy you and I will use it against your enemy. As long as you trust me. And so that's where where we find ourselves in the story. That's where we find it. Is maybe you find yourself as David. Maybe you find yourself as someone who was a substitute. Who stepped in to face a giant. Maybe you can claim that victory. Maybe you find yourself like the Israelites. The point of the story of David versus Goliath is that the Philistines, the enemy, sent their champion, their challenger. And God had sent our champion. Back then it was in the form of a small shepherd boy, an anointed king named David, who was small. And we find ourselves, generations later, God sending another boy to step in for us to be our champion. And so I ask you, do you have a champion? Do you have a champion? Do you have someone to step in for you in the midst of a battle to face the enemy, to face the giant? we're all human all of us will walk in this door and what's the first thing people ask how are you doing we're going to do it right now how are you doing fine not good a lot of the times it's a go to just as a passive thing how are you doing good But we're all fighting something. Yes, we may have claimed victory in things. Maybe a hundred things. Maybe we can say that I only got one more thing, but it's still something. Maybe you're facing a battle right now. Maybe you walk in this place, you're like, you don't even know what I had to do to get myself here this morning. But it's in this moment that I say to you, Your champion is waiting. Whether you're a believer of 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years, or whether this is a first time, you're just now hearing this. Your champion is waiting. There's moments that we all have to come face to face with a giant, and it's only two responses. It's only two responses. You either choose Jesus or you don't. We can't do it ourselves. We need a substitute. And so I invite you that wherever you're at, if you're here on campus or if you're here watching online or maybe you're watching this a year and a half from now, hello from the future. If you're watching this, I invite you. Jesus is the victor. Jesus has already won the battle. He slayed death. Everything else that falls under that is claimed powerless because he's defeated. And so wherever you find yourself, why don't you give him that opportunity? Invite him into your life. If it's for the first time, it's for the first time. He's right there waiting. He's ready. He's ready to step out. He's ready. But if it's a time to recommit or maybe it's a time to just say, okay, I got it. I can't do this by myself. And you ask him, can you take this? Can you fight this for me? Invite him into your life to be your champion, to be your giant killer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we want to give thanks to you because at the end of the day, we are all in this room for a purpose. We're all in this room for a purpose. You have us in here. For a reason, God, we can we can go through our every everyday lives, and we can hear people say, "How are you doing?" And we can say, "Fine," but God, you know the true battle that we're dealing with, and it sometimes can feel like we're doing this all alone. But you tell us you're you're not doing it alone. If you trust in me, you're not. I'm fighting with you. One plus God is always a majority. And you can can have confidence in knowing that we're going to claim victory over what it is if we rely on you. And so God, I pray in this moment, in this opportunity, maybe it's the first time or maybe it's the thousandth time that we give our lives to you. We choose you. In this moment of despair, this moment of victory, God, I pray that we choose you. Because at the end of the day, we know That there is an enemy out there that is facing us, that is screaming at us, that is defying you. And we know that you've already won. So God, I pray that you give us this opportunity in this moment to accept you. Take an opportunity. God, I pray over over the rest of our service. I pray over our week. God, I pray over our months. God, I pray that you give us divine appointments an unnatural outpouring of your spirit on us over these next couple weeks and months and years to say, I'm going to win. I'm going to win because I am the majority with God. So Father God, I lift this time to you. I lift this moment to you. We give it to you. This is yours. Father, I pray you continue to be on our hearts this morning. And in this week, God, we we lift this up to our holy Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.